Thanks, Racer. Yes, it is indeed morning. Evening was a few hours ago, or it's a few hours ahead, but right now we are in the morning. That, that's what happens when you run the youth, and you're always thinking in terms of evening. Uh, did anyone notice that with Martine? And I, I don't know if, if that ever happened to Jared, but, but uh, it was like hard for them to actually uh, think of the fact that we're, we're in the morning. And when we're talking, we're referring to this, this morning, which is quite a, an, an apt illustration, thanks so much, Racer, of the series that we're in, which is about uh, renewing our minds and the fact that, that we create uh, pathways, which means, I think Duke University uh, did some research and noted that it was something like 45% of the actions that you take every day are things that you do without even thinking about it because you've formed the habit. So, so for most of you, you the way that you arrived uh, or came to church today, depending on whether or not you're reasonably new to church or if you've been coming for a long time, you wouldn't have even had to think about it. So Rasa, without thinking, just assumes that it's evening. Even though her body would have told her it was light-ish outside and, and, and I woke up you know, an hour ago or three or four, whatever the case is. Um, and so this, this is both the benefit, the blessing, and the challenge, the burden that we face when it comes to uh, directing our lives. So we're wrapping up this series today, and the, the, the thesis for this series has been that if you can change your mind, you can change your life. And I would argue strongly that for better and for worse, the life the quality of life that you're experiencing right now. So, so I, I'm not talking in terms of circumstances, but rather our joy levels, our peace levels, our hope levels, um, our attitudes are largely determined by the thoughts that we've been thinking up until now. So even the example that Pauline just gave of that family, that is a mindset. And, and that's not a mindset that you stumble onto. You don't accidentally become positive and optimistic and faithful and, and filled with vision and hope when, when it looks like circumstances are actually quite challenging. That is, that is a mindset that you have to set. You actually have to do it intentionally and proactively. And I think that one of the biggest challenges we face is that especially with the media onslaught that we, that we have in this day and age, it is hard not to just react to all the information that, that is coming our way. Uh, I'm trying to think if it was Thursday morning or I think it was Friday morning that I woke up to like all this news about this new variant and all of a sudden we've been you know, blocked from the rest of the world and, and some people are going to be a million times more uh, you know, uh, contagious um, or transmissible and, 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 then others, and then others are like, it's way too early to know and, and then I'm getting messages from people with different challenges and then I find out about another pastor who's got brain cancer and in the natural it's impossible and, and, and one thing after another and before I realized I was like, whoa, 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 like hold on. Like I've got to, I've got to actually catch myself from going down a spiral of all the what ifs, because, because there are things that we can control and there are things that we can't control. So, for example, we can control wearing a mask over our mouths and our noses because our noses are part of our breathing system. I'm, I'm always amazed at how people protect their chin when they're walking through the shopping center. I'm like, ah, look, your chin's probably not the thing that's gonna you know, make someone else sick. Um, so, so there are things that we can do. We can be wise. We can consider one another. We can love one another in the way that we, that, that, that we protect ourselves, protect them. 
But guys, then there are also things that are out of our control. We, we cannot control what the rest of the world's gonna do. I mean, I struggle to control what I'm gonna do, let alone controlling what you're gonna do. And so, and so we actually have to guard our minds. I really do believe that the life that we are currently living is because of the thoughts that we've been thinking. Whether it's in your relationships, whether it's relating to your future, whether it's relating to our country, the world, uh, coronavirus. So often we think, well, if the circumstances could just be different, well then, I'll be different. But that's just not true. And that's not actually biblical. I was talking to another friend on Friday morning, uh, works for one of the largest churches in New Zealand, as he's pastor actually. Um, some of you know Paul Dion from Life Church, who's just been diagnosed with, with brain cancer. Um, tragic situation in the natural, in the natural. Again, his attitude is remarkable in that he's like, we know that God can, we're gonna pray, we're gonna fast, we're gonna do what we can, but God has never let us down, God is still good, God doesn't change, etc., etc. But anyway, that's, that's, that's not what I wanted to emphasize. What this friend was explaining to me is that some of you, some of you know that Auckland's been in lockdown for four months. Now, New Zealand have had in total less infections than what we've often had in one day. And the death rate is lower than what we would often have in one day. But, but they've obviously taken a very hardcore stance, which is probably why they've had the results they've had. However, so the point I'm trying to make is that we might think, well, okay, if we were in those circumstances, and I won't lie, I think there are many of us pastors that were looking at their churches nice and full during different you know, parts of coronavirus, and we were a little bit Christian jealous. Things, 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 things have changed a little bit for them. Um, so you might think, well, okay, if the circumstances were different, that'd be amazing. But what you don't know is of the thousands of people that have committed suicide over the last 18 months in New Zealand, the 26,000 businesses that have had to close down because of, of restrictions. Now, that's not a, an additional pity party. I'm saying that the circumstances do not have to dictate our mindset. So, so you might think, well, if I was there, then at least we don't have, yeah, but, but, but people are struggling with mental health and with isolation and not having contact with people for days and weeks and months at a time and the, and the knock-on effects that that's having. And, and there really is something to be done with our mindset. Now, we are not wanting to promote or encourage hype. This isn't just about the power of the mind. Although there are elements of truth in this. See, that's, that's, the, that's the thing, is that there really is a lot of truth in some of the theories around the power of the mind because of the physiological effects that it has. And, and it I don't even understand all the, all, the, all the biology, but how it releases certain proteins. And again, it creates certain pathways. And so you're just that little bit more willing, a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more optimistic. But it's not just about being more positive. There is something different when we take the word of God, the promises of God, the principles of God, and whether we feel it or not, we stand on it. So we're not talking about denying our feelings, but we are trying not to be led by our feelings. And, and I think that sometimes Christians can, can avoid both extremes. So, so I think that Christians that are big on faith can sometimes deny their feelings as though somehow feeling something is going to squash 
my faith as though it's almost like superstitious, like God, like God can't hear me acknowledge that I'm feeling concerned, that, that I'm, I'm tired with the mystery and the confusion and the uncertainty. I think God's perfectly okay with you saying, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting right now, I'm, I'm aching right now. Just recently, uh, 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 man, yo, Sue and I listened to a young girl screaming with, with grief and pain and disappointment because her mother is in the UK and cannot come down when she promised that she'd come down. This is a six-year-old who is experiencing pain. Now that's real. And, 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 and as traumatic as it was, I was actually thinking, you know what, it's actually good that she's able to express, yeah. because it does suck. Yeah. It's not fair, it's not nice. In fact, I might use other words that might be offensive to some of you, rightly so, because it is, it's horrible, and, and, and you wanna get angry. And in fact, I do get angry. Not at the person or at a system, but the fact that we live in a fallen world, that we do have an enemy who really does want to still kill and destroy. But, but, but it's okay to feel, but as we mature, as we get older, we don't want to be led by all those feelings. And so in spite of a report, again, I mean, I think of Donovan Kutsia, our, our previous national leader, who many of you would have seen the video that we shot of him a few months ago. In the natural, short of a miracle, we're probably talking about months, I would imagine. However, I think I've received three or four messages from him this week, including this morning, praying for you, praying for your services, may it be life-giving. There's an attitude, there's a, there's a depth of sincere gratefulness. There's a gratitude about Donovan. Those of you that were here last Sunday night would have heard Mark, who also is in the natural, facing a very, very bleak um, uh, prognosis in, in terms of the cancer that's that he's battling, and again, I mean, I was talking to him this week, like he actually got a bit emotional just expressing how grateful he is for God. He's like, God has never let me down. God has been so, both of them, I mean, they, they just keep talking about all the things that God has done. That is, that is choosing to see. That is choosing, not to focus on what I don't have, but it's choosing to, to thank God for what he has done. And if God heals me, amazing, I'm so grateful. If he doesn't, well then like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we will worship him. Because that doesn't take away from who he has been. That doesn't take away from how faithful and how kind and how good he has been. It is a mindset. And right now, I would argue that every one of us have set our minds. Either for good or for harm. There's probably very little of it that's neutral. We are, we are either strengthening our minds towards believing God at what he says, or we are allowing ourselves to be deformed. So Romans 12, verse two says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, we, John McComer puts it this way, that we are either being formed into the image of Christ because we are renewing our minds, or we are being deformed into the image of Satan by allowing our minds to be corrupted and discouraged and distracted. So, we've spoken about a couple of different principles over the previous three weeks. Today, I wanna highlight a fourth principle, and then I wanna do a little bit of a, of a recap and get you to respond personally where you are. So the fourth principle that we're wanting to get across today is simply this, rejoice. Rejoice. This is a choice. 
so hard for me not to want to go into a bit of a rhyme rap thing of it's a choice to rejoice and you know attitude gratitude and all those cliches. But but we are we are called, the Bible calls us to rejoice. God through his word says that that is actually a choice that we have. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. This is being written by a man. Some of you know him as Paul the Apostle, one of the early church leaders, who is literally in prison. He's been shipwrecked multiple times, left for dead, beaten, bloodied, gone, you know, he's experienced hunger and being cold and and bopping around the sea more than once. But he's like, "Uh uh-uh, always rejoice. There is more than enough for us to thank God for. If 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 I live, I get to serve God's purposes. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. Like, bring it on. Whatever, whatever's gonna happen, it's okay. It is an attitude. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Not, not, not when everything's going our way, when we're able to control God according to our agenda. No, no, always. How many of us would be experiencing different lives, different work environments, different, a different dynamic at school in relationships? It's if we were going to bed every night, thanking God sincerely for something. Not, not, some, not some cliche, I mean like just sincerely, just something that we can thank God for during the day. And if we woke up every morning, before you look at that little glowing device next to your bed that gives you access to the world. Imagine if before we did that, if the first thing that we, that we began to sprinkle over our brain was something that we're grateful for. God, thank you for a new day. Thank you that your mercy is on you. Thank you. I mean, this morning, I'm just thinking, like, God, seriously, thank you that I'm in a bed. Guys, you don't have to drive around very far to see people that are not lying in beds. God, thank you with the rain that we've had. God, thank you that I actually have shelter. Again, you don't have to walk or drive very far to see people that don't have secure shelter. I can, I can walk towards a tap with running water quickly, easily. There, there are things, guys, when... Regardless of what you don't have, there are things that every one of us sitting here can thank God for. Imagine what that would do for our minds. He goes on two verses later in verse six to say, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Thank him for all he has done. One of the, I honestly believe this, one of the single greatest ways for us to deal with anxiety, to deal with stress, to deal with worry, to deal with the unknown, is to actually discipline ourselves, to thank God for what he has done. It's just amazing how it changes, I'm not telling you that it'll change your circumstances. Your business might be in trouble and you might be going, I'm not saying it'll change them, I'm saying it'll change your perspective. I'm saying, and, and by the way, when we change our perspective, when we have peace, because that's what it goes on to say, it says, if we do this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. In other words, in other words, you're saying, you will have irrational peace. It's not gonna make sense. They're gonna think you're on drugs. You're, you're smoking the good stuff, okay? It's not gonna make sense to people, but you're gonna have peace. And I am convinced that we are more able to discern God's will and wisdom from a place of peace than what we are hoping to find peace if we can just get the answers. Because you can get the answer and still not have peace because the answer might suck, frankly. We can have peace. 
And gratitude is the single, I think it is the single, arguably the single greatest discipline. And it is a discipline. It means we do it deliberately. We choose. When possible, write it down. There's something, I don't understand it. There's something about just slowing down enough to write something out, or, or if you have to, type it out. Or if you're a little bit older, you type it out. You know. <laughs> but let's practice gratitude. Maybe, maybe next time you have to pay the rent or the bond. Thank God that you have accommodation to pay for. You see, because of the role that we play, we see people that don't have accommodation and that are desperate. Maybe next time you have to pay tax or, or if you're wrestling over paying tithe. I mean, guys, that's a choice for you. I'm telling you now, like you'll still go to heaven. That's a choice. Maybe, maybe instead of focusing on... Uh, uh, God, thank you that I have an income. Because there are, I mean, what is it, unemployment rate, something like 37%? Guys, come on, we have something to be grateful for. If you were able to walk in here today on your own two legs, we have something to be grateful for. If you're able to breathe without an apparatus, we have something to be grateful for. No matter what is going on, we have things to be grateful for. Craig Rochelle, this is the quote that I think we've read every week, says that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And I am convinced that we have a very real enemy, and as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, along with a couple billion minions, whose greatest tactic is deception. It is to affect our minds. The, the longest portion, passage of scripture that Jesus addressed at all in scripture around describing spiritual warfare and, and the enemy, our enemy. Uh, the, in fact, often the, the Bible actually referred to the Satan or the devil or the accuser. It's, it's, it didn't even give him a, like, like, a prone, like, like, a, like a name in terms of a noun. Um, in, the longest, in the longest teaching in John chapter eight, he talks about how he is the father of all lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So, so far more than coming at you with an with a AK-47 or, or, or a bad bank balance, he comes at you with a thought, with a question, with a doubt, with, with, with just enough truth to, to try and, and affect our thinking because our thinking determines our lives. And so, we'll have a summary up on the screen. These, this is not in the order that we've preached this, so, so bear with me, give me some grace, but this is the best way that I think I can try and summarize the process that I think we need to go through over and over and over again. We need to recognize the lie. We need to replace it with truth. We need to reframe our point of focus. That's what Sue spoke about last week and the different lenses that we can look through. We need to rejoice in what God has done and then we need to repeat. Like repeat's probably the most important. I spoke about this two weeks ago, how repetition is the, is the practice that reinforces our rewiring. If you wanna rewire your mind, don't just, don't, just, don't just remind yourself of a truth now and then, once in a blue moon. No, no, we have to meditate on truth. We have to remind ourselves. So allow me to recap just for a few minutes and then I wanna encourage you to just respond um, and maybe even, even as I'm discussing this, the, you wanna maybe jot down a note or two. We've got some paper under your chair. There should be a pen there as well. If nothing else, all that I would like to get you to do is to maybe identify a lie, a 
a thought pattern that you know, you know, slowly but surely, or maybe super blatantly, is actually affecting your life. And my hope and my prayer is that God would actually make you aware of, of, of whether, it's, whether it's a hopelessness, whether it's a victim mentality, whether it's an insecurity, whether it's an identity issue, whether it's, whether it's something like I will never fill in the blank, whatever that might be, I'd like you to at least identify it and begin to pray into. God, what does is, what is your word say about this? So that I don't settle for just surviving, but that I actually make changes so that I can flourish and bear fruit and overflow into people's lives. Recognizing the lie, I mentioned before that the enemy's primary tactic is deception. Take a look at what John McComas says in his book, Live No Lies, which is, which is a book that I would strongly recommend. I'm not optimistic about how many of you will read it, but I would still recommend it nonetheless. I'm going through it for the second time. He says this, his tactic, he's referring to, to Satan, is the same basic formula on repeat. Isolate, then lie. Isolate, then lie. Pick a lie that plays to a disordered desire, get your mark, so that's the person that you're trying to you know, discourage, to take a relational step away from God and to redefine good and evil for himself. This is kind of his working definition of what a lie is, or, or, or truth. Truth is, truth is in, in his opinion, a description of reality. A lie is when, is when, is when we try and convince someone that a falseness is actually reality. This is still how the devil piles his, uh, plies his craft. As a pastor, I could tell you countless stories of people who have walked into sin or even walked away from God, and it always starts with drifting away from community with other solid followers of Jesus. I met with, with the two guys that I'm closest to in my life. Yesterday, we, we, we share, we, we're vulnerable, we confess sin. And we pray for each other. And I was, and I was, just, I was just sharing with them how, how there's a, a gentleman with whom I was involved with a little while ago, uh, been a pastor for decades, um, needed to step down because of a pattern, a years-long pattern in his life of destructive choices that he was making. And the biggest concern was that he's 70, there isn't, there isn't time to, to kind of work this around and to come back into the role and responsibility that he has. Um, but the biggest concern was that, was that wasn't, it's, it's never the action, it's the, it's the secrecy, it's the hiddenness, it's the broken trust that took place over years. And, and, and I, myself and a couple of other leaders sat with him and his elders on this particular evening, where it was the first time, from what I could tell, it was the first time in his life, 70 years old, been serving a full-time ministry for probably over 40 years. It was the first time in his life, from what I could tell, that he was actually vulnerable with other people. And I could see he was surprised by how gracious the elders were, that, that people didn't actually shame him and condemn him and make him feel worse. And I cannot think of a more powerful example of someone that has allowed himself to live in isolation for decades and decades. I get it that there are excuses. I, I get it, or rather explanations. I get it that, that you may have been hurt and disappointed and let down, and maybe you've shared stuff in confidence, and maybe the person has shared it with someone else and they shouldn't have, and, and, and there's no excuse for that. But don't play into the enemy's hand by continuing to live in isolation. It is one of his greatest, greatest tactics. Um, this next slide is just a, a, a summary of, of what John McComas suggests is the way that the enemy works with us. So he tries to sow a deceptive idea 
that plays to our disordered desires, and we've all got some disordered desires, okay? If I didn't have a disordered desire, I wouldn't be putting on weight. Like, like there are some disordered desires, okay? And they are normalized in a sinful society. That is what he's referring to as, and, and what, what people for centuries have referred to as the devil, the flesh, and the world. So we have an enemy, but then there's also just this whole human nature thing that we wrestle over, and it's so hard to push back because we have these disordered desires. And then we live in the world that, that, that normalizes it. Like, like the world normalizes. You, like you, like you ba- I mean, we're all basically animals. Like an animal wouldn't be monogamous in a relationship. Like it's gonna have sex with you. Like if it's a desire, you know, like the hard ones with the hard ones. Well, that's the world normalizing a lie. An animal doesn't have the ability to make a choice between the burger and the salad. It's just, trust me, we have a dog. He's got absolutely no self-control whatsoever. He is testing my patience and my sanctity like you cannot believe. But I've got to remind myself, he's a dog. But, but as weird as it sounds, I feel like I need to prophetically say to you, you're not a dog. You're not an animal. We are not slaves to sin. Yes, we're gonna struggle. Yes, there are desires that we wish we didn't have. Yes, it's a wrestle. Yes, there are days that we're gonna fall. But again, what are we gonna do about it? We can confess it. We can repent. We can try, and, we can try again as we turn around. Don't believe the lie that that's just how it's always going to be. Secondly, we need to replace with truth. So we need to recognize the lie. We need to replace with truth. We can't think about nothing. I mean, I've heard people argue that men can't think about nothing. I mean, I, I know what they mean, you know, where they, where, but, I, but I don't know that you can think about absolutely nothing. Maybe you are relaxing a bit more, but, but, but like it's hard to think about nothing. So, so if a lie is coming at you, you can't just try and ignore it. We need to replace it with truth. We have to quite literally rewire our brains over a period of time. Now, if you'll allow me, I wanna just read some rough thoughts to you. It's, it's like a working document for me that I will probably add to, I might take away from, but this is just some stuff that I'm just thinking of for me personally and for us as a church. As we go into a new season in 2022, as we, as we are constantly trying to understand and, and, and put things in place that'll help us to actually grow in loving God and loving people. These are some truths that I think can push back against some lies. God is the kindest person we'll ever meet. We are loved by God before we perform or produce. And everything we do is a response to the love of God because gratitude makes us generous. God's glory is our priority. Our lives increasingly reflect the fruit of His Spirit. Therefore, we are committed to maturing in character over our lifetime. We measure progress, not perfection. God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle and will show us a way out. We are not slaves to sin. By the way, all of this is based on scripture. I can take you to it when we have time. God's truth connected to God's way will lead to God's life. Therefore, we practice the way of Jesus that leads to life. 
Because we know that the things we do do something to us, we are committed to practices that will form us into the image of Christ. We will reap what we sow if we do not give up. We trust God even though his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. God will cause all things to work together for good as we love him and walk in his purposes. We endure and grow through confusion and suffering. God is our provider. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We have irrational peace and joy. We love people. We serve people to the best of our ability in relation to our responsibilities, gifts, and limits. Because we are secure and identified in Christ, we are able to say yes or no because of godly discernment and obedience. In other words, we are growing in differentiation. We value diversity and are committed to unity. We reject false peace and value one another more than our opinions and preferences. We give people the benefit of the doubt and work hard to understand and empathize. We pursue humility, remembering that we don't know what we don't know. We use knowledge, strength, and influence to serve others, never to control them. Because God has been generous to us, we will be generous to others. Because God has freely forgiven us, we will freely forgive others. We are salt and light in a persecuting world. We stand in our place in the world and stay loyal to Jesus no matter what comes. We are a life-giving minority, a beautiful resistance. We will live beyond ourselves. We will steward the legacy we have received and increase the life-giving legacy we pass on to others. Does that leave you feeling discouraged and sucked dry, or is that a vision from the Bible that is something that you want to lean into and live out? We have to replace the lies with truth. We have to discover it, we have to write it down, we have to declare it, we have to repeat it. We do not wanna live life by accident. We do not wanna just live life reactively, just surviving. We wanna be proactive. We, we, guys, we want to be different in the best possible sense of the word. We need to recognize the lie. We need to replace it with truth. And third, we need to reframe. We need to reframe. We need to, we need to make sure that our point of focus is directed the way that it should be. Sue mentioned last week about how the, the vulture and the hummingbird will both find what they're looking for. The vulture is looking for a carcass, something to devour, some, some, something that's dead, something, something to, to just eat because it plays to its disordered desire, and the hummingbird is looking for nectar, for something sweet, and, and will find it. Never before in history have we had access to finding exactly what we want to online, like what we do today. You, if you... You wanna find stuff to, to build a case for anti-vaxxing, you'll find it. You wanna find stuff to build a case for vaccine, you'll find it. You wanna find stuff to, to build the case for nationalism or racism, or, you're gonna find it. And that includes all the Christian weirdos. Like there's a lot of Christian weirdo stuff out there. Please don't, just, please don't just assume that stuff is correct because they have the Christian label attached or pastor attached or church attached. I am, I am horrified. I have been horrified over the last few years by some of the stuff that Christian nationally and internationally known pastors have, have supported and endorsed and spoken publicly. We need to think. 
We need to think critically. Not be critical, but, but we need to think critically. I mean, that's the other thing. How on earth do people represent God when they are hating each other? I'm, so, so when I say I've been disturbed, I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying I've been disturbed, like burdened. So use this passage last week. By the way, Philippians, just, if you've got nothing else to do this week, read Philippians. Again and again, it's four chapters. It's short, it's quick. There is so much in there that I think speaks to what this series has been about. But Sue read the example in Philippians chapter two, verse 12, where again, Paul is saying that I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace God, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That is reframing. So, so, so when you see the way that someone suffers, when you see the way that someone endures challenges, imagine that that can actually build people's confidence in God. We have to recognize the lie, replace it with truth, and we have to reframe our point of focus. And number four, we have to rejoice. We have to rejoice. I, I, I don't think that we can actually skip any of these. I feel like rejoice is the glue that, that just keeps everything together and it, and it just keeps reminding us of what is true when there's so much in front of us that we're unsure of. And number five, we need to repeat everything consistently. You've heard us say before that, that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. That's the only difference. Some people do it occasionally, some people do it consistently. Successful people are people that do it consistently. So let's, let's rewire our brains. Let's keep repeating truth. You cannot do this without the Bible. Guys, if you are hoping to grow in your faith without the Bible, in my opinion, that is sheer hype. That is, then, then that is just me hoping to be strong enough in my own mind, strong enough in my own hope. No, you're not strong enough. You might think you are, and maybe life has been kind enough to you that you haven't faced circumstances where it's out of your control. Just hang in there, because you're gonna face stuff that is out of your own personal ability. We have to repeat. Philippians 4 verse eight, that's what I say, just keep going back to Philippians. It says, now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. We need to fix them. We need, our, we need to make sure that we're anchoring our thoughts consistently, over and over and over again in, in what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Where's Cherise? Not Shinnies, Cherise. The team was messing with me this morning that I'd get the name wrong, which I almost did. Even though I've known Cherise since she was like 12, I don't know, 13. Anyway. <coughs> I wanna give you an example. I mean, there's so many, and, and just, just so you know, I never get to anywhere near everything I want to on a given Sunday. So that's why I'd encourage you to always go to the version notes. There's always extra stuff and extra scriptures and points that I might not have the opportunity to get to. But, but if nothing else, I wanna just encourage you for a moment to reflect on, and again, this is Paul that's writing this. It's a little epistle called Ephesians, chapter one, verse four and five. I wanna read it to you and then I'm gonna ask you to reflect on it in a different way. So Paul says this, even before he made the world, speaking of God, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy 
and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into our own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Now, for those of you that are able to read quickly and, and comprehend and take stuff in, maybe, maybe that meant something to you. But I've got to be honest and say, I've read that passage many times over the years and, and maybe a part of it stands out every now and then. But when another leader recommended that I read it differently, it really did shift my appreciation for this truth that has been recorded in Scripture and that we can declare in 2021. So I want you to think about replacing the word I, we, us with your name. I want you to think about reading it like this. Even before he made the world, God loved Jason. He chose Jason. Think about that for a moment. Even before he made the world, God loved, just in your own mind, I want you to, I want you to take this in. Before he made the world, God loved. He chose. In Christ, so not because of your own strength, but because of Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt into his own family by bringing to himself through Jesus Christ. And I love how it says this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Can I encourage you to close your eyes for a few moments? And I want you just to reflect on how easy or hard it is to imagine God looking at you right now and trying to imagine that he's actually looking at you with a look of pleasure on his face. Yeah, but Jason, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I know God does. But is it possible that he still loves you? Is it possible that there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less? Nothing that you can do to make him love you more? Is it possible that it really and truly gave him pleasure that he wanted to adopt you into his family? We need to renew our minds. We need to remind ourselves that before he made the world, God loved you. He chose you. God decided in advance to adopt you. He wanted to do this. It gave him pleasure. And the reason that this matters so much is because of what I said in one of the first declarations just now. It is only in response to love that we do anything else. We, we, we don't do it to earn. We don't do it to prove. We don't do it to convince. No, no. We do ev everything, anything good that you do is in response to God's love. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that even in this moment, that you would help us to just quieten our minds. Help us to be present with you. 
Help us to sense anything that you are trying to whisper or prompt or point out. God, help us to recognize and reject the lies. Help us to replace them with your truth. Help us to reframe the different circumstances, the different challenges that we're going through that are so tempting to try and change the truth. God, help us to see those things that we do have to rejoice over. We're not denying the challenges. We're not denying pain, grief, loss, confusion, mystery. God, we're not denying any, any of that reality. But help us to thank you for what you have done. Help us to thank you for what you have done. God, you have done so much. So much. So much more than what we give you credit for. So much more. Father, I pray that even as in this moment that you would help us to push through and persevere through some of the discomfort of being in silence. Help us to recognize that in some ways it's probably a tactic of the enemy to keep our minds so busy and, and distracted with noise, with thoughts, with even good stuff sometimes can just be another, another distraction from us actually just quieting down enough to actually allow ourselves to be present with the reality that you are present with us. I think so often when we feel alone, it's not because you're not with us, it's because we're too distracted, too busy to even see you, to even recognize what you're trying to do as you as you would invite us, as you would want to point things out to us. Father, where people have stopped believing this, would you remind them that their lives are worth fighting for? It's worth fighting for. Give us the capacity to persevere as we renew our minds, as we change very, very deeply entrenched habits and patterns. Help us to persevere. Help us not to believe the lie that there should be a quick reaction and a quick response and that when we don't see the harvest that we want in a, in a, in a short space of time that we're tempted to give up. God, help us to reject that lie. Help us to persevere. God, help us not to believe the lie that we're victims and that, and that this is all on you and, and there's nothing that we can do. No, no, help us to know that you give us grace, not to do nothing, but grace to actually put effort in to renewing our minds, to sowing the right seeds, to practicing the way of Jesus. Lord, would you help us to sense and appreciate the significance of how much this is gonna matter as we go into 2022, even just as we go into December, that this isn't, this isn't a nice extra benefit. This isn't just having a little positive spin available to us in our lives. In some cases, our lives are on the line in the sense of purpose, destiny, 
living for what matters most, relationships, marriages, parenting, parent-child relationships. It's worth fighting for. And Father, I do pray that for anyone that is here today or that's watching or listening to this, that is not in a relationship with you, Father, that they would sense your invitation, that you would help them to respond to your invitation, accepting your free gift of forgiveness and choosing to take that first step of simply saying yes to following you. As they do that, as people make that decision, I pray that you would invade them with irrational peace and joy. Would you lift their burdens, lift guilt and shame, discouragement, distractions, and would you give them such a clear sense of the love of God, that you chose them before the world was created, that you chose to adopt them, that this brought you pleasure, you wanted to do this. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen.